0: Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. I want to talk to you for just a few minutes today out of two different scripture openings. The first one comes from the book of Matthew chapter 5, and the second one comes from 2 Kings chapter 2. Matthew chapter 5 and 2 Kings chapter 2, you can turn to both those scriptures, and we will have a good time this morning. Amen? Tell your neighbor, we will have a good time this morning. We are going to have fun at church today. Amen? Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 is where I want to read from. Actually, I want to read from verse 4. Amen. Verse 3 said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. If you came in the door mourning this morning, I believe you can be comforted. Amen. If you came in the door with sadness today, I believe God wants to lift you out of the sadness you find yourself in. Amen. Blessed are the meek, verse 5, for they shall inherit the earth. That actually, the word earth there is a little Greek word for land. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit land. Amen. That ought to make you want to be meek. Amen. Okay, a couple of you followed me there. Let's try that again. Uh, maybe on this side. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit land. That ought to make you want to be meek, because you get to have some land with that. That's pretty awesome. Amen. Real estate's a great investment, because they're not making any more of it. Amen. Okay, okay. Verse 6, blessed are those, this is where we want to get to this morning, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I want to talk to you this morning for just a couple moments, just a couple minutes about hungering for more of God. I want to talk to you about stirring up and encouraging and strengthening within yourself your own hunger for God. Nobody is going to make you hungry for God other than you. Amen. Nobody is going to stoke the fire of God in your heart for you. Amen. We have a responsibility in our relationship with God that we be the ones to gauge and strengthen and stir up our own hunger. Nobody can make me hungry for God. Nobody can make you hungry for God. Somehow we gotta find whatever it takes to get ourselves stirred up with hunger for the Lord. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, so because they shall be filled. Now, there is a couple things in here that are uh, promises. Yeah, put it up there on the screen. Thank you guys. There is a couple promises in these verses. If you are looking on the screen, you can follow along there. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. There is two specific promises in that verse. The first one is that if you hunger and thirst for God, you are blessed. Let's try that again. If you hunger and thirst for God, you're blessed. There is a promise of the blessing of God that is attached to hungering and thirsting for God and for the things of God, for his spirit, for his life, for his joy. The hungrier you get for the person of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, the more blessed you become. Amen. You know... I like to I like to study the lives of people that have accomplished more than me. Anybody else like to do that? One of my favorite people to read after is a man named John C. Doctor John C. Maxwell. He's a leadership author and he's a former pastor. He's a great man, and and he says something that I so appreciate. He said, "Success leaves clues. Success leaves clues." That means anytime you see somebody who's done something you haven't done or is farther along in life than you are, look at their life and you'll find some clues about how they got there, right? You follow me so far? Success leaves clues. So what I like to do is find people who are more hungry for God than I am and study their life and figure out how do they get there. I like to read about guys like Smith Wigglesworth and John G. Lake and William Branham and A.A. Allen and F.F. F. Bosworth. And R.W. Schambach, all these guys back in the 50s, apparently none of them had first names. They just had letters. <laughs> Amen. F.F. F. Bosworth wrote a book called Christ the Healer. A.A. A. Allen had the biggest tent in the whole of the United States in the 40s and 50s in the revivals. They saw more people get healed under those tents in a short window of time than anybody in the body of Christ had seen. It was amazing. I like to read after guys like that, women like that, like Catherine Kuhlman. Maria Woodworth Eder. Uh, the, the list just goes on and on and on. I want to study their lives. Why? Because success leaves clues. Yeah. Smith Wigglesworth said, I never pray for more than 15 minutes at a time, but I never go more than 15 minutes without praying. Yeah. Wow, what a lifestyle. What a way to live. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. You think, oh, pastor, that's so excessive. Yeah. You go more than 15 minutes without praying? Oh, that's so excessive. Yeah. You know how many people Smith Wigglesworth raised from the dead? More than Jesus. Heretic. No, I'm being serious. He raised more people from the dead than Jesus. You think that's odd? It's not. Jesus said in John chapter fourteen, verse twelve, "These works shall I do, and uh, these works that I do shall you do also, and greater works than these, because I go to the Father." Some people get a hold of God and start getting so hungry for the things of God that it causes them to move forward into the things of God and go beyond even what Jesus did when He was here. That's Bible. That's not heresy. Amen. Success leaves clues. I like to follow after hungry people and find out, how did they get so hungry? Yeah. Because I notice in their life, the people who are the most hungry for God, also the people who are the most blessed. It's, it's interesting. It's real interesting. The most depressed Christians I meet in my life, ones that are not hungry. The most frustrated Christians I meet in my life are the ones who just are not interested. They're not hungry. They're not passionate about church. They're not excited about what God's doing in their community. They don't get involved in small groups. They barely drag themselves into church on Sunday mornings. Hello. And then, and then guess what? They're the ones that call me and say, oh, pastor, the wheels are falling off. Hey, Willie, I love you. She said, we're here. I know. Hey, listen, listen. Every time I point my finger at you, I got three pointing back at me, okay? We're all in this together. Who's not human in here? Any of us? No. We're all, listen, we're all in this together. Here's the deal. When I, look at the, when I look at my own life and I study the lives of men and women that have gone before me, the blessing follows the hunger. You can't, you know, you can't detach those two things. The hungrier we get for the things of God, the more blessed we're supposed to become as a result. That's promise number one. Number two promise from that verse, if you put it back, oh, it's already on the screen. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for after righteousness, for they shall be filled. This is promise number two. The first promise is that you're going to be blessed when you hunger and thirst. The second promise is when you get hungry for God, guess what he does? He fills you. Right? Like, Duh blessed are they that hunger and thirst, because they get filled. How many of you would say, if you were being real honest, Lord, I want more of you in my life. Lord, I would love to have more of you in my life. I want to be filled up with your goodness. I want to be filled up with your life and with your love. I want more of you, Jesus. Amen. Guess what? If you maintain that attitude, you'll get it. Amen. Jesus said, In the book of Matthew, further on than we are, I'm not going to go there for the sake of time, but he said in this same sermon, Sermon on the Mount, he said, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and the door shall be opened unto you. God is not cold hearted and mean. He doesn't make a promise to get you to start seeking him and then not come through on his end of the deal. If he said you get hungry for him, you get filled, guess what happens? You get hungry for him, you get filled. You are blessed when you're hungry for him. That's a promise from the living God. And he's not, he doesn't play games with his promises. He means what he says, and he says what he means. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're not going to go there for time's sake, but in John chapter 4, verse 14, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. And she says, uh, he says to her, she, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm thirsty. Give me some water to drink. And, and they, they start to carry on this conversation. Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman, very risky thing for him to do in his time. To talk to a woman was already you're on thin ice. And then to talk to a Samaritan woman, you're on even thinner ice. You're going to be stoned for that activity in, in Jesus' time. But Jesus doesn't care. He goes to the unlovable. He goes to the ones that nobody wants to reach, that nobody wants to touch. And so he starts having this conversation with this Samaritan woman. And they start talking about water and the water that comes up from the well. They were standing by a well outside of the city of Samaria. And Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and the one who stands before you, you would ask of me for a drink. And I would give you living water that you would drink and never thirst again. Blessed are they that what? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. You, when you're thirsting for righteousness, guess who you're thirsting for? The living water of Jesus Christ. Amen. He is the well of salvation. He is the living water. And and the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit further on in John chapter 6. That when we receive the living water of God's spirit, it becomes like rivers living on the inside of us. Bursting forward out of us and touching the people around us. Amen. When you're hungry and thirsty for God, what are you hungry for? Hungry for Jesus. I'm thirsty for Jesus. Amen. I want more of Jesus in my life. John 4, 4, he says he's the living water. John chapter 6, he said, I'm the bread of life. Bread of life. You see, when you're hungry for God and you're thirsty for God, you're hungry for Jesus. You're thirsty for Jesus. No wonder you get blessed. No wonder there's a blessing. Amen. Y'all doing okay? Amen. All right, let's go over to 2 Kings 2. I wanted to talk for just a minute about the blessing that comes with being hungry for God. How many of you know if you're hungry for the Lord, there's a blessing, like we've just been talking about? If you're hungry for the things of the world, there's not a blessing on that. Amen. Amen. The Bible tells us over and over and over again, the Bible makes all these distinctions between the things of the God, the things of the kingdom, the things of the spirit, and the things of the world. Amen. Y'all familiar with the scripture, right? Paul tells us to set our mind on what? Things above, not on things of the earth. Our problem is that when we let our flesh control us, When we lose focus on the things of God, our flesh starts to crave the things of this world. David, King David, who wrote the book of Psalms, or most of the book of Psalms, had such a powerful and profound revelation. He said, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. This is a guy who didn't have a relationship with Jesus. This is a guy who was in the Old Testament He didn't have what you and I have. You and I have a covenant with God today. We have have a living relationship with Jesus. We have the advantage of looking back and seeing the cross and saying, you know what? I put my trust in Jesus Christ. He saved me. He delivered me. He healed me. Nobody in in the Old Testament had that advantage. You and I have an incredible advantage. And yet, even in the Old Testament, King David got close enough to the presence of God that he recognized As the deer pants after the water, even my soul longs for you. He said in other places in the book of Psalms, he said, My heart and my flesh cry out for you, the living God. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. He said in Psalm 27, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to serve in the tents of the wicked. Even David, who wasn't saved, had this understanding ingrained in his mind that if I go after God and if I get hungry for God, he will reward me with his presence. He will reward me with himself. He will daily load me with benefits. Everywhere I go, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David himself, unsaved David, knew enough to know that it's better to be close to the presence of God than it is to be far away, right? You ever stood by a fire in a a cold day, like a bonfire? Everybody has, right? You ever been out out at a bonfire, and it's cold outside, and it starts getting darker, and as it gets darker, it gets colder, and what do you want to do? Scoot your chair a little closer to the fire, right? Sometimes you might turn around and, you know, warm your butt a little bit because it's getting a little cold, the back of my legs are freezing. I want to get closer to the fire. Even, even an unsmart person knows it's better to stand close to the fire when I need to get warm. Even an, even an unregenerate, unsaved King David knows it's better to be close to the presence of God than it is to be far from the presence of God. When you and I make place and make space for God's presence in our lives, it absolutely transforms us. When we start to get hungry for God, it works every time. Every time. How many of you could say that in your own life, from your own experience? If I was to go around the room with a microphone and ask each and every one of you, I bet so many of you would say, yeah, this is true. There have been times in my life, seasons in my life, where all I want to do is pray and fast and be close to Jesus, where all I want to do is read his word. I I just, I'm so hungry for him and for his presence, and that's all I want. And And you could tell me that, you know, in those seasons when that's happened for you, things just seem to work in your life. They just seem to go right. They just, you don't even have to work to have favor. When you're hungry for God, you don't have to work or try or strive to have healing when you're hungry for God. Amen. So there's, again, there's a blessing that comes from being hungry for the presence of the Lord and for being hungry for the word of God. Now, 2 Kings chapter 2, I want to show you a story that we're probably, most of us, if we grew up in church, are familiar with this story. It's the story of Elijah and Elisha, two major prophets from the Old Testament, two super anointed guys. Okay, super anointed. Elijah was so anointed that five thousand years, four thousand years later, people wrote songs about him. These are the days of Elijah. Y'all know that song. If you grew up in the in charismatic church in the eighties and nineties, you know that song. Amen. These are the days of Elijah. He was so powerful and so anointed, God worked through him so mightily that, uh, that he's gone down in Israel's history as one of the most intense prophets to ever live. And there's a moment where Elijah is getting ready to finish his earthly ministry, and he's getting ready to be called up home to go and be with Jesus. And Elisha is his protege. He's his assistant, prophet in training. Okay, And in, in chapter 2, we see the story of Elijah getting ready to be taken up into heaven. And Elisha is following him. Now, I'm just going to read and cherry pick a few verses here so that I tell the story without taking so much time to read the entire chapter. But verse 1 of chapter 2 says, It came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. If you wonder where Gilgal is, it's out by Todd. Over by the New River. Yeah, amen, amen. It's closer to the Ash County border, yeah. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. I want you to take just a moment and zero in on that phrase. As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. What does that sound like? Hunger. Hunger. Determination. Elisha, the young prophet in training, recognizes Elijah. At this point, they've been spending some time together. Elisha has seen Elijah do some pretty cool stuff. And he said, you know what? I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I'm smart enough to know that I'm going to stay close to you because you're the man of God that's anointed. And so I'm hungry for God, so I'm going to hang out with you. And I don't care what it costs me. As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. That, my friends, is a hungry attitude. That is a determined attitude, a person who's determined to get something good from God. Now, this carries on for many verses in this chapter. They make like three or four different stops at different places. And each time, Elijah says the same thing to Elijah, stay here. And each time he says, "Stay here," Elisha says, "No, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, I ain't leaving you." So it was. Uh, let's see, verse nine. Um, it says, "So it was when they had crossed over. They just crossed over the River Jordan." Actually, we need to read verse eight for seven and eight for context. Okay. Fifty men, verse, just back up to verse 7, I don't want to skip over this part. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing the two of them, that's Elijah and Elisha, at a distance, when the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water, and it was divided this way and that, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. This is the third time in the Old Testament that God has parted water for somebody. It happened first with Moses. It happened secondly with the children of Israel when they crossed this same river into the promised land. Now it's happening again with Elijah. What does that tell me? That tells me that when I'm walking with God, nothing that stands in my way has a chance of persevering and prevailing. If God would part the Jordan River for Elijah, he'll deal with your court case, okay? If God will part the Jordan River and the Red Sea for doggone Moses and the children of Israel, he'll deal with your marriage issues. He'll deal with your family. He'll deal with the work issue. If there's a mountain in front of you, Jesus told us to speak to the mountain. Elijah wasn't intimidated by the Jordan River, and he also wasn't going to get his shoes wet. So he said, give me this mantle and smack the water, and the water had to move, not Elijah. Elijah, if God apart the sea for an Old Testament believer, what will He do for you? Amen. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. I'm over here preaching myself into a happy place. Y'all don't understand today is a great day. I'm going to relax after this service is over, knowing that I preached to my own satisfaction. <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah. Come on, if God apart the water for an Old Testament person who doesn't have Jesus, what could he possibly do with you who has the spirit of God living in the inside of you right now? You have a new nature, you have a new name, you have a new identity. You're in the family of God. You're so much farther along than David and Jonah and Elijah and Elisha and Solomon and Abraham and everybody. If God would do it for them, what will he do for you? You don't even have to get your shoes wet, Elijah. Just hit the water, bro. Just hit the water. Context. Amen. Keep going. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water, and it was divided this way and that, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. So it was, when they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, ask. This is so important. Ask. Ask. What may I do for you before I am taken away from you? Now, this Elisha guy is pretty smart. He's sharp. He's been following this man of God all over the place. And it's cost him something. It's cost him some time. It's cost him some effort. I'll bet Elisha didn't feel like walking to four different cities that day. I'll bet when he was going through his day planner that morning, he was like, oh, what should we do today? Oh, let's, aim, let's walk around aimlessly to three different cities and do nothing except walk. Sounds like a great day. Let's run a pointless marathon. Amen. I'll bet Elisha wasn't super excited about all the travel. They didn't have Uber, right? They had to walk. Could you imagine walking from here to your house and then getting to your house and being like, oh snap, I gotta go to the grocery store, and then walk to the grocery store, and then get to the grocery store is like, you know what, I need to stop by the post office and get my mail, and then walk to the post office and then walk home. It was inconvenient. What's the point? Elisha inconvenienced himself for the anointing. Elisha inconvenienced himself just so that he could stay close to the anointing. God's not looking for you to inconvenience yourself so that he'll be impressed with your inconveniencing of yourself. God is interested in you inconveniencing yourself for the sake of his anointing. There has to come a moment in our lives, my friends, when the kingdom of God and the things of the kingdom of God become more precious to us than all the other stuff that I got going on in my life. I'm telling you it's true I'm telling you it's true and the the closer you get to Jesus the less of a taste you have for the things of the world glory to God y'all I'm going to tell you something I fasted and prayed last week for hope and healing I don't know what the heck's happened to me but I I don't I don't know what's happened to me I don't care about the television as much I don't really care about all the activities. There's a part of me that just wants to crawl up under my bed and just stay there face down in the presence of the Lord for days at a time. Why? Because when I get there, I'm meeting with him, and the things of the kingdom are becoming more and more important to me than the things of this world. That's what hunger will do for you. Let's keep reading. Y'all doing okay? I'm going to wrap up in just a couple minutes, okay? Elijah says... What shall I do? Ask, what shall I do for you? Isn't it cool how courteous God is? What do you want from me? Like, not in a rude way, what can I do for you? I'm here to serve you. Isn't that interesting? Elisha was so nice. Ask, what may I do for you before I'm taken away? Now, here's bold Elisha. Are you ready? Please, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Wow. How many of you know God likes bold prayers? God likes bold requests. Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. So many times we're scratching our heads going, why can't, I can't, why can't I have a better this? Why can't my life be better? I look around and I compare myself to people and I go, why isn't my life farther along like it is in this person? Why isn't my ministry bigger like it is for this person? You have not because you ask not. Sometimes we just don't ask big enough things of God. Sometimes we just don't get bold in our prayers. Elisha looks at Elijah and says, you know what I want? I'll tell you exactly what I want. Twice the anointing that you have. Give me double what you have. What's Elijah's response? What's Elijah's response in the next verse, verse 10? He said, you have asked what? A hard thing. Well, that's kind of a passive way to say it. You've asked more than a hard thing. You've asked an impossible thing. Mm-hmm. How many of you know, Elijah couldn't give twice what he had? Because yeah. if he had twice what he had, it would be what he had. Yeah. Right? I mean, simple, like, second grade math will help you figure this one out. Yeah. Hey, can you give me twice what you, hey, how much money you got? I like got 1,000 bucks. Can I have 2,000? Uh, no. Because <laughs> I don't have 2,000 to give you right now. Right? How many of you know God can work with anything? He can work with whatever you got. The point is you got to get him involved. Elijah looks at Elisha and says, you've asked a hard thing. I can't give you twice what I have. However, if you see me when I'm taken away, then you shall have what you ask. You see, Elisha was smart enough to ask for twice what Elijah had. And Elijah was smart enough to say, if you want that, God's going to have to get involved. So you're going to have to stay close to me and see me when I go up into heaven because then God's going to be present and then he can give you what I can't give you. Wow. What, is that? what does that mean? That means that Elisha's intensity and hunger and the cost and the price for the anointing just went up. That means that what Elisha is going to have to do is, you know, he's been hanging out with Elijah going on his little walkabout, yeah. all right? And, but now he's got to be like, Elijah could go at any time. If he's sleeping, I got to stay awake. If he's going to the bathroom, I got to hang outside the door. Because he could go at any moment and I got to be there. Elisha's, the requirement of the anointing on Elisha's life was that he inconvenienced himself for the sake of the calling that was on his life. If you go back a few chapters, you'll read about how Elijah already put his mantle on Elisha. If you go back into the previous book, you'll see God tells Elijah, go and anoint Elisha for ministry. And so Elijah is walking down the road, and he's got his mantle and he sees Elisha plowing a field with a bunch of oxen and he's like what up throws his mantle on him and keeps going Elisha already had Elijah's mantle cast on him they already know he's called to ministry but God wanted him to be tested to see how much would he endure how close would he stay to the anointing? You know, some people get called by God and they never do anything with their calling. There's, for every one Elisha that gets anointed, there's a hundred other Elishas out there that got called and never did anything with it. But Elisha's smart enough to know, I got to stay near this man of God. Are y'all doing okay? Am I losing you this morning or are you still with me? Okay, all right, good. I just want to make sure, it was an honest question. Please let a double portion of your spirit come upon me. You've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I go and take him from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not, it shall not be so. Then it happened as they what? Continued on. Man, if I had to title a message, it would be continue on. If I had to title the message, it would be continue on. Oh, you've come this far with God. You've come this far to this place with the Lord. There's so much more that he wants to show you. Will you stay inconvenienced? Will you stay hungry? Will you count the cost? Will you say it doesn't matter? You know what? I don't want to binge watch that stupid drama. I don't want to binge watch that show. I don't want to go here. I don't want to go there. I don't want to yield myself to this or to that. I just want to yield myself to God. Will you continue on? Let's keep reading. Then it has happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly... A chariot of fire appeared. The chariot of fire appeared. I had to slide that in. Yeah. The chariot of fire appeared. What happened? Elijah once again throws his mantle on Elisha. But this time, it's different. This time, the mantle's got double the anointing on it that it had before. Wow. You see what happens when you get hungry enough that God gets involved? Elisha is smart enough to ask for double, and Elijah is smart enough to know That if you want double, you got to get God involved. What, listen, the anointing that was on your life up to this point, it's not going to cut it for tomorrow. It's not going to cut it for the remainder of the assignment that's in front of you. If you and I are going to do everything God's called us to do, we're going to need to get God involved more than he's been involved in the past. We're going to need to go beyond our comfort level that we've been at for X number of days, months, weeks, or years. It's time to come up higher. Amen? Amen. Come on, it's time to come up higher. if you read the remainder of second kings and you study it against the book of first kings first kings is all about elisha elijah second kings is all about elisha and all the other kings in israel that that served as kings during their time as prophets if you if you juxtapose first kings against second kings you'll find out that elisha did exactly two times the number of miracles that elijah did raised twice as many people from the dead, fed twice as many people. Elisha was packed with the anointing, packed with the power of God. Why? Because he got hungry long enough to see Elijah go when God was present and God honored his request. That's the thing that blows my mind about the whole story. Is that God actually honored Elisha's bold, ridiculous request. It's ridiculous to ask somebody for twice what they have. It doesn't make mathematical sense. Give me this inheritance times two. It doesn't make sense, does it? No, God had to get involved. And Elisha never slackened his his hunger. He He never laid back. Well, there's no record of him taking a vacation from his hunger for the things of God. He said, if, if I see this man when he goes, I'll get twice what he has. I'm not leaving his side. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what it costs me. I want you to hear that. I don't care what it costs me. We're going to be studying the book of Acts pretty soon as a church. We're going to do a series and go through the book of Acts. The title of the series is called Bold, the Miraculous Book of Acts. It's going to be all about the amazing, incredible, bold things that the church and the Holy Ghost did together in the first century. And it's going to light you up. I promise that. What I hope and pray that we will do is when we're studying the book of Acts, recognize that we would recognize that the early church did not care what it cost them. So many of us talk about, well, we just got to do things the way the early church did them. I I talk with a lot of pastors. I have a lot of friends who are in the ministry. I I read magazines and blog articles and watch YouTube videos All about people's opinions about the church and what the church should be doing. You all ever see these kinds of videos? Well, well, if the church just did this, then we'd be better. If the church did that, we'd be better. And something that a lot of people tend to talk about is we need to do things the way the early church did them. Be careful what you ask for. The early church did not care what it cost them. They would go to church every day. I just love that church. It's just that the sermons are so long. (laughs) Baby, let me take you to Africa. Let me, just come with me, hide in my suitcase and let's go back to Kenya and let's go to Eldoret, Kenya, where they will sit on a dirt floor for hours, where they will ride their bicycle because they don't have a car for hours to come to church where they will walk for days and sleep on that same floor at the church for an entire week so that you could do a leadership concert, conver, uh, conference for African pastors. Let me tell you about other parts of the world where they don't have air-conditioned building and nice seats and cameras and beautiful sound equipment and great praise team and, and, and everybody pads each other's bum when they come through the door. And it's all nice and fluffy and you know, spring water and butterflies and everything's great all the time. Let me tell you where it's actually an uphill climb to get close to Jesus. Let me take you there. And then we wonder why the power of God moves so strongly in other countries. Have we been willing yet to inconvenience ourselves for the hunger of God, of knowing Jesus? Let me close with this thought. I had to take a drink first. Let me close with this thought. (laughs) God created every single one of us the same way in this regard. We all know that we're different and we're unique, and God's given us all different giftings and callings, and I'm so glad not every one of us is exactly the same, aren't you? Yes, you better be, because then everybody in this room would be like me, and it would be just, (laughs) wouldn't be as fun. (laughs) Just kidding. God created all of us uniquely and different, but he did create every one of us the same in this regard. All of us, all the time, are yielding ourselves to something. God created every human being that has ever lived, is currently living, and will ever live the same way in this regard. He created us to yield and to submit to something. You are constantly submitting your life to something. I don't believe that. That's not true. I can do whatever I want. Okay. Okay. Try not to breathe for three minutes. Just hold your breath. Seriously. Some people you want to be like, no, just do it. I want to see you faint. <laughs> right? right? Try to hold your breath for ten minutes and see if you, don't, if you aren't unwillingly submitted to the laws of nature. Jump off a building. Go climb on this roof and jump off this roof and dare yourself to not submit to the law of gravity. We are constantly yielding and submitting to something all the time. It's how God made us. He designed you to be submitted to something. So the question then becomes, if I'm created by God to be yielding and in submission to something all the time, what am I yielding and submitting myself to? If He designed me to be submitted to His presence, what am I submitting myself to apart from His presence? If He designed me to crave Him, what is it that I'm craving apart from Him? Don't fool yourself into thinking you're not submitted to something. You absolutely are. You're either submitted to life or you're submitted to death. You're either submitted to faith or you're submitted to unbelief. You're either submitted to the presence of God or the, or the spirit of the age. You're either submitted to the light of the kingdom of God or the darkness of this confused world. What are we going to submit ourselves to? Who am I going to be yielded to? I want to challenge you with that this morning. Who are you yielding yourself to? Are you willing to yield yourself to the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Are you willing to yield your heart to the Spirit of God no matter what it costs you? It's funny, I've lived in Boone for 12 years now. I've been coming here for longer than that. And I've worked real hard as a, to try to be a responsible human being and make a good name for myself in this community. I want that when people hear the name Josh Thurman that they think he's a good guy. I like him. You know, he doesn't smell bad. He's pretty polite, you know. Not that funny looking, you know. He's I like him. I've worked real hard to try to be a man of my word and have character, but I'm going to tell you what, guys. I'm coming to the place where I just don't care what anybody thinks of me anymore. And I just don't care what it costs me anymore. I want to I yield my heart to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords all day, every day. I want to give myself to him more entirely and more completely than I ever have before. And I don't care what it costs me. And I want to ask you this morning, who are you yielding yourself to? Who gets the lion's share of your attention? Is it the nameless, faceless screen that you carry around all the time? Is it the TV that you look at that never looks back at you? That doesn't love you? Is it the experience that you chase, that you hustle after, the experience that can't ever pay you back what you paid it Is it the place that you find refuge, that you find safety outside of the things of God? You see, we run to the world for so many things, guys. We run to the world for so many things. And God's just like, hey, would you just run to me instead? Could you just, could you just break away from Instagram long enough to hear my voice? Most of us are addicted to things that are killing us real slow. Not as many amens on that one, Frankie. (laughs) Most of us are, are just addicted to things that are sucking the life out of us so slowly that we can't perceive it. And God's like, if you would just take just a momentary turn and just seek my face for just long enough, I would overwhelm you with my presence. I would so gush my favor and love upon you that you would get hooked and addicted to the presence of God and the things of God. I'm not trying to be sappy or emotional or anything like that. I'm not trying to say the right combination of words so that you'll have goosebumps this morning. I'm not that clever. What I do know is that they that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. And then they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, no matter what it costs them, are going to get really blessed. I want to be in the really blessed category. I want to be in the category that every time I'm, I'm so close to God that every time I pray, my prayer gets answered. All right? I, I, I just want us to learn from Elisha this morning. Just learn from the guy who said, "I don't care what it costs me, it, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you." I mean, what if you, what if you prayed that kind of prayer? you that are watching me online this morning. What if you prayed that kind of prayer where you're sitting? Lord, I don't care what it costs me. As you live live and as as your soul lives and as the Lord lives, I will not back off of the things of God. I will not yield myself to the enemy any longer. I'm going after Jesus with all my heart and I don't care what it costs me. I don't care if it means I gotta pray for an hour every day. Every day. I don't care if it means I gotta pray for two hours every day while standing on my head. God is so good that it's gonna take eternity. All every bit of forever. It's going to take all of forever for us to discover the fullness of his goodness. And yet he gives us access to that now. And all he wants in return is our attention and our focus. All he wants is for us to listen to his voice and say, you know what? I'm not going to yield to all the other things. I'm not gonna submit my heart to all the other things. I'm gonna be submitted because that's the way you created me, God, but I'm gonna be intentional about who I'm submitted to and I'm gonna submit to you and I don't care what it costs me. I'm telling you, no matter where you find yourself in that spectrum of decision, Jesus will meet you right where you're at right now. Come on, let's stand up to our feet and close our eyes. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.